3: Hey everyone, I'm Jim Hankey, and on this week's episode, we'll talk with our WBBM staff and friends of the station about what they predict 2024 will bring in their respective fields of expertise. Let's get looped in, Chicago. First up is Danny Parkins from our friends at 670 The Score, as we get into the Cubs' big managerial change this offseason and what else might occur before opening day. Danny also appeared on a previous looped-in episode about the Northwestern sports scandal earlier this year. Let's get into it really quickly. Uh, what does uh, someone in your position hope for and expect? I guess from the council move in the off season. You know, what are you looking forward to for this season coming up?
1: Well, I think Craig Council is, if not the best, one of the two or three best managers in the game. So I expect a heightened amount of standards and expectations and winning in the margins. I expect a smart, thoughtful approach to blending analytics and scouting from a former pro player who overachieved and his teams in Milwaukee overachieved. And I think it's a safe bet to assume that Jed Hoyer and the Cubs think that whatever roster and level of talent they put together and that they give him, he's going to maximize it and hopefully overachieve and exceed expectations.
3: Well, let's talk about what is going to be potentially given to him. I mean, that was the big move, obviously, when that happened. Since then, what's happened and what do we expect before opening day?
1: Well, I mean, not much has happened that's meaningful. Uh, the council move was huge. It's the highest paid manager in baseball, but it's still a manager, right? He doesn't throw, catch, or hit. So they have money to spend because the Jason Hayward contract is officially off the books. And Marcus Stroman is going to be on someone else's team next year. And they're probably $50 million I would say, away from hitting their budget, roughly, Uh, Cody Bellinger is a priority. I think they need to upgrade in the home run department. So I would expect some sort of slugging first baseman DH type, whether it's a Reese Hoskins or a JD Martinez, like someone like that who's more of a pure power guy. But the other thing, which is why I think it's really tough to handicap the Cubs offseason, is you can't just look at the free agents. I think that they're going to make big additions via trade because they've got the second-ranked farm system in baseball, and three of their top four prospects are outfielders. But Seiya Suzuki, Ian Happ, Pete Crow Armstrong, and maybe Cody Bellinger, they already have three or four major league outfielders. So I think they're going to be dealing from a organizational prospect's position of strength, and then it's just really hard to handicap who might be available via trade free agency. It's easy trade. It's a little trickier.
3: And then just to close out for 2024, if we were to pin you down and ask for a final win loss record for the Cubs next season, what are you predicting?
1: Wow. Well, I mean, listen, they, I need the promise that I can come back on the podcast before opening day because you know, because I, I can only confidently right now tell you 60% of their starting rotation And Cody Bellinger was arguably their best player last year. And I have no idea if he's going to be on the team next year. So there are are some big uh, question marks that still need to be answered. But what I would say is the Brewers got worse. The division is winnable. They're going to have the highest payroll in the league by far. And they just made a win now move at manager. So I think the expectations are that the Cubs are going to win the National League Central and they have to go into the year as the favorite to win the National League Central. So I think that that is probably an 87 to 90 win barometer is what you should be holding the Cubs to uh, as of right now.
3: Next up is WBBM's own news anchor Rob Hart a diehard White Sox fan who appeared on our White Sox-centric episode following their 2023 downfall on and off the field. Is Rob optimistic about what 2024 has to offer? Let's find out. Rob, was 2023 your worst year as a White Sox fan, or can you remember some really previous bad years as well?
2: I mean, I think it's going to be hard to top because not only were they bad, uh, you had all the other stuff surrounding the team. You had the situation in the outfield uh, over the summer with the shooting, which is still unsolved mm-hmm. as of this recording. And then on top of that, you had the flirting with Nashville, which I still don't believe. I think when this is all said and done, they're still on the south side of Chicago. And then this uh, unnecessarily hostile Uh, situation with Jason Benetti which apparently according to him uh, forced him to uh, leave the White Sox a team he grew up rooting for to uh, take a gig with the Detroit Tigers. So from a uh, a, a PR standpoint uh, 2023 is an (laughs) all-timer in in terms of bad years.
3: (laughs) Well several of the bigger names that the Sox did have since the end of the season have elected free agency but there have been a few pickups since the end of the season. I'm wondering if we can talk about some of those pickups, you know, kind of what you foresee in that, Um, but also uh, kind of piggybacking on that question for free agents. Let's not talk about trades, but free agents alone. How would you sell the White Sox in 2024 to someone who's a free agent and you want them to come to Chicago?
2: I mean, it's it's still a big city. You're playing in Chicago and you're playing in the American League Central, which is still. Uh, a very competitive division. I mean, I think there's no real favorites or world beaters. And Chicago's a great city. The White Sox, 2023 aside, are a a, a charter American League franchise. And there are still a lot of good players who were good not too long ago. And I think – Eloy Jimenez and Joan Mancada and Luis Robert especially are our teammates you would like to have. So I, I think if you are a free agent and you are looking for a gig as uh, spring training draws close in February, if the White Sox come a-calling, uh, that's a phone you should answer.
3: And then just to wrap up, uh, I'm going to ask you to put on your Johnny Carson Karnak hat for a second. Mm, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, at the end of 2024, What does that win column look like for the White Sox? Obviously, a lot still has to happen before, you know, to put the full roster out on the field. But in your mind, realistically, where do you see them picking up from here?
2: Can I give you a long and complicated answer? I would love it. Okay. I I see two things happening in 2024. Scenario number one is basically a continuation of 2023. Because after the trades, after they got rid of Giolito and they sent Lance Lynn to Los Angeles... Uh, they were on like a 55 win pace from August until the end, and let's just say that continues. And and you have a White Sox team that could be very well uh, the worst in its history if those trends continue. And Pedro Grifol is not the guy after all to be the manager, and that Chris gets as general manager is as the, the the head of the big club, uh, as competent as he was as the minor league director in terms of uh, finding talent and churning out players because the minor league system under Getz was not very good. However, uh, we have learned a little bit about how the final years of the Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams regime operated and that uh, maybe a lot of the confusion uh, in the executive ranks led to the poor play on the field where uh, there are some stories coming out about how Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams were often at odds with each other and canceling each other out. And in the drafting process, the team did have a plan. And then, according to uh, one analyst, I guess uh, there were instances in which uh, the plan was thrown out because veteran scouts with the team got up during the draft and said, if you don't get this guy... Who was not on your list? I'm going to quit. <laughs> it seems to be a lot of uh, a very confused process, uh, both at the major league level and the minor league level. Chris Getz may have been a part of that, or he gets to improve that with streamlined decision making. I've been I've been kind of impressed with the moves he's made so far, both on a coaching level, on an executive level, and even some of the players who have come over. Uh, In in terms of 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 you know maybe they don't hit the ball but they they certainly catch the ball which was something the twenty twenty three White Sox didn't do well at all so even if you go by uh, defensive metrics the White Sox picked up a couple of wins already with the guys they brought in and cut like thirty million dollars from the payroll so we're on their way to make being a watchable product there are a couple of more things that have to have to happen. As of this recording, the Dylan Seas trade has not happened yet. I need to see what they get back as far as major league-ready players to flesh out the many, many, many holes that exist on the roster. And then we talk about some free agents, uh, obviously, uh, from the bargain bin, but you can do really well in the bargain bin and, and, and put a watchable product on the field. And then you also need some existing players to go back to their old selves because the last time the White Sox bounced off a 100 loss season, 2018 into 2019, uh, it was a watchable product in 2019. They won 73 games, uh, a big improvement, but they improved largely because Lucas Giolito was an entirely different pitcher in 19 and that Yuan Mancata. Uh, kind of lived up to his hype as a prospect. And then some of the people they brought in who were kind of by low guys, like James McCann, who was the catcher that year, uh, turned out to be pleasant surprises. I mean, McCann went to the All-Star game in 2019. So you need a little bit of that to break your way uh, for the 2024 White Sox to be watchable and, dare I say, competitive.
3: All right, last question I just thought of. What's your go-to meal at Sox Park?
2: Is as it always been the case uh, a hot dog? Um, it, it usually uh, the, the the kosher dog with some onions mm-hmm. and mustard, or uh, the Comiskey dog, which is basically your Chicago hot dog, and uh, you y- y- you can't beat that. Right.
3: Well, I hope if the the play on the field doesn't uh, bring you any joy this year,
2: hopefully a meal or there will there. always be a hot dog, <laughs> and uh, uh, as they say on the internet, there will always be time for 108ing to uh, make it go away. <laughs>
3: In an upcoming election year, what do we think will happen on Wall Street? And as 2023 headlines were heavy on strikes and unions, are similar headlines expected for 2024? We'll try to find out after the break. Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Jeff Gilbert is with our friends at WWJ in Detroit, and no one has covered union headlines better than him In his storied career, he's seen strikes over the decades from air traffic controllers, coal miners, steel workers, and of course, being in Motor City, those on the assembly line at auto plants. I spoke with him this past week about this year's UAW strikes and what the outlook is for the upcoming year. So, needless to say, with everything... Just specifically about auto unions this year, I mean, it was a pretty historic year. Let's try to ballpark that, try to encapsulate that for people about why this year uh, made it a little bit different than maybe some of the auto strikes we've seen in years past.
4: Yeah, it was very different. In the past, what the United Auto Workers would do would be choose one company to set the pattern. They'd target that one company. They would shut it down completely if there was a strike, and then they'd settle and move on to the next This time, Sean Fain, who's a brand new UAW president, elected publicly for the very first time, not selected at a convention. So he has a mandate to do things differently, and that's what he did. So he decided to strike all three, but if they would have taken down all of the plants, that would have quickly drained the union strike fund. So he chose individual plants and individual car makers uh, to, to strike and slowly ratcheted up the pressure.
3: Absolutely. And there's already articles, I think one from CNN Business talking about UAW is already looking towards what's next. You know, these things have been settled now for a couple months. What's next on the docket for them? If not this year, in the coming years, what would be the next battle for them?
4: It's already begun after they settled these three car companies. Sean Fane, the UAW president, pointedly said that. Next is the non-union companies, and there are probably as many non-union auto workers in the U.S. as there are union auto workers, because you've got all of the foreign car makers, you've got EV startups like Tesla and Rivian, actually Rivian's in Illinois in your neck of the woods. So again, taking a new tactic for the UAW in the past, they would concentrate on, on one of these companies. fane said, we're going to concentrate on a dozen of them. So they began a process to try to get people at these car companies to sign union cards. So far, it seems like Volkswagen is ahead of other other car makers, and the union has already put some pressure on Volkswagen, Hyundai, and Honda, filing unfair labor practices charges, saying that their people weren't allowed to hand out literature at the plants. So that's already begun.
3: We are seeing an uptick in striking as a whole, but is it true that less and less people are joining unions uh, You know, in the last decade?
4: I, I can't tell you exact statistics. Union membership rises and falls, so I'm not exactly sure where the trends are. It's not a huge chunk of the population at this particular point. But what we have seen is typically unions work well and can put pressure on companies when the companies are making profits and workers are making less than what they would would make it a competitive company in that same field. That's where unions really work well because they can put pressure on the companies at that point and the companies don't want to give up profits so they're more likely to share them with workers. That's when unionization works very well. Where it doesn't work well, and we've seen this side of the cycle, is in a bad economy, when companies are losing money, it's very hard to go to the bosses and say, hey, I know you've just lost $20 billion, but we need more money. You know, obviously, the bosses are going to come and say, no, we need more money, we can need concessions. So we're in the part of the cycle where the companies are making a lot of profits, so therefore... This is kind of a rare, very positive time for unions. And you've seen them moving in a lot of industries, not just the auto industry. You saw it in the entertainment industry. You saw it at heavy equipment manufacturers like Caterpillar. So we've got this narrow window of a very good economy where you know, the UAW in particular knew that they had to really put the pressure on right now because they don't know what the world's going to be like in four years when the next cycle comes around.
3: Just to close out, Jeff, let's look ahead to 2024. What's been in the headlines? What are you expecting as far as uh, business news, unionization, all things that tie into that in 2024? What, what looks like something we should be um, keeping our eyes open for?
4: Yeah, in terms of unionization with with the auto industry, it's obviously what's going to happen with the UAW and the so-called transplants, uh, the foreign car makers working in the U.S. and EV startups. So it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out, and that's going to play out for more than a year. That's something that's going to take several years to play out. But will we see one of these companies, even one of the companies, if they sign a union contract, that would be historic in terms of the auto industry. Biggest issue is the move to electric vehicles. It continues, but it's slowed down a lot, and there are a lot of new competitors coming. So it'll be very interesting to see what the marketplace does, what consumer interest is in the vehicles, now that there are going to be a lot of them and a lot of choices in the marketplace.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for your expertise, and Happy New Year.
4: Thank you. You too.
3: Finally, I reached out to Andy Gersher here at WBBM, host of our financial podcast, Gains, to discuss if what he predicted last December came true this year and what to watch out for on Wall Street in an upcoming election year. Well, Andy, what's the story, if we can kind of summarize it, what's the story for 2023 on Wall Street? Uh, You know, if if my kid studying economics 10 years from now, maybe in a textbook, what does 2023 look like as a headline financially?
0: The year of artificial intelligence. That was the big business story of the year. We saw the comeback of technology at large, but AI was the key story there. Uh, We saw crypto come back. So we saw various parts of technology come back in a big way. Companies like NVIDIA, Meta, or formerly known as Facebook, have banner years. We saw Bitcoin put on nearly 150% increase over the year. Every company that was reporting earnings each quarter, they would say artificial intelligence and tie it to their business and then their stock would take off. <laughs> so it clearly was the year of AI and how it was integrated into businesses and 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 we later found out Also, companies that are really in AI and just claim to be
3: in AI. Right, right. And this year, I think, too, we've heard a lot about inflation. Gas prices have taken a bit of a dip. Where do we stand with inflation? How did that look in 2023?
0: Well, uh, one thing real quick before we go any further. I'm a degenerate, okay? I'm a degenerate (laughs) risk taker. I'm a degenerate gambler. (laughs) Yes, I, I am the host of the Gains podcast. Right. You know, I love trading stocks. Crypto. I'll even short the market, but I am not an investment professional, yes. so take my word as a grain of salt. Absolutely. Uh, the experts I bring on the Gains Podcast, listen to them. But when we look back at the year, it's been a good year for markets. The Dow is up almost thirteen percent. The S and P five hundred up nearly twenty five percent. The Nasdaq, and we talked about the year of artificial intelligence, the year of techs comeback. Uh, The NASDAQ, which is tech-heavy, up 44%. We mentioned crypto coming back, Bitcoin up 150%, and then just a little sidebar, gold up 11%. Oil, which dictates gas prices, is about where it was last year. So we've seen a lot of uh, choppiness, and, and say three months ago, oil was much higher. You saw that reflected in gas prices. Um, I think that you know if, if we're looking at oil and gas prices I I like actually oil long term in mm-hmm. fact one of my favorite picks uh, on the stock side is Chevron the ticker on that CVX mm-hmm. uh, 11 uh, price earnings ratio uh, about 150 a share. It has a nice 4% dividend. But it's funny. You ask about oil. I like Chevron. I could see oil ticking higher over the next year. I don't see huge increases unless we see something on the geopolitical Mm -hmm. side, which we've seen with Ukraine and then the latest with Israel and Hamas. But I see oil probably edging a little higher. And that's why Chevron is one of my picks that I'm going to be buying here at the end of the year. Yeah,
3: Absolutely. Well, let's rewind a little bit. Around this time last year, in 2022, what were you seeing forward for 2023? Okay, you know? it's
0: funny you ask. Okay, because on the GAINS podcast, and you, you got to go back and check this one yes. out on December 7th, 2022. So that's a little over a little over a year. Sure. Over a year, we called the bottom for crypto. Okay, and specifically Bitcoin, more so. It was just under seventeen thousand a token. I mean, last look going in here today, we're well over forty thousand. Yeah, uh, we. It seemed at the time it, uh, there was the pile on. Everybody was so negative on crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the alt tokens yeah. that um, it just it felt like the bottom. I mean, I believe in crypto long term. Yeah, so right. I knew there was a future, and it just felt like the the pile on. And uh, that was the bottom. And we called it and uh, screamed from the top of our lungs, go out and, uh, you know, like myself, back up the truck and buy some Bitcoin. Well, 150% <laughs> later, that trade uh, did really well. And wow. I, throughout the year, and I've been saying this a million times, always, I dollar cost average each month into Bitcoin and Ethereum because I believe in crypto and the utility of it and blockchain technology long term. As far as the GAINS podcast goes, yeah. crypto is the standout. Bitcoin, that Bitcoin trade was
3: the standout sure. in 2023. Sure. Well, again, every week people can listen to you on the GAINS podcast. It's great. Uh, make sure to listen to that. However, you're listening to Looped In right now. Uh, the last thing Andy, I want to cover is is what is the outlook for 2024? What do you foresee happening? Obviously, going back, let's remind people as you, as you said, you're a degenerate. <laughs> yes, a degenerate. But, but, but you know, risk what, taker. What, but yes, what are we looking for in 2024?
0: For 2024, okay, let's take a look at the positives and the negatives. I guess that's the big thing. So going into 2024, we see inflation cooling. We've seen some of those higher energy prices come down some. Uh, the numbers I talked about earlier about having a good year, especially for stocks, those numbers wouldn't have been imaginable weeks ago. Mm. I mean, these are unimaginable numbers that we've put on the market in the last couple of weeks, and that all has to do with the Fed. The Fed has gotten dovish, in, in, or at least Wall Street's reading the Fed being dovish. They clearly have uh, stopped raising rates. Uh, a lot of Wall Street now... It sees them potentially in the next year uh bringing down rates lower maybe three rate cuts i'm not 100 percent sure of that but that's what led yeah. to this rally it. um it'll be interesting we talk about this all the time the dow theory mm-hmm. the time-tested dow theory Is positive right now, so those are all really good things for stocks. Another factor too that we'll see next year is a presidential election year. Yeah, stocks generally do fairly well in a presidential election year. And and the one little side note, and this is this is going to be down the road, but regardless of the winner, the period right after election day tends to be very good. Okay, and I often participate in that. trade. So there's a lot of good things, some of the negatives though, and I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. There's a commercial real estate issue going on. US office r- real estate could head for a severe correction. Yeah. Uh I, I could see that or even a crash. Uh there's other geopolitical issues. They generally don't tend to to weigh on stocks too much, but they can have immediate impacts and they it, they can also Impact energy, yeah. which is a factor, but th- things for the most part look pretty good, especially as I mentioned, going into a presidential election year.
3: Well, let's plug the Gaines Podcast one more time before we let you go. You know, what can people tune in and hear coming up? Maybe you know, towards the end of this year, beginning of next. Is there anybody you want to plug that's that's coming on, or some topics that you're going to be tackling? Well, we're
0: going to continue our discussion about the Dow theory. We our end of year podcast, which is coming up in a week. That's a must listen. We're going to get some of our heavy hitters to come in and listen to actually listen to them. They're not degenerates; they're actually <laughs> sure. professionals. Yes. They're going to give their forecast uh, going into the new year. Some other areas that we've kept an eye on that are kind of interesting: comic books, mm. sports memorabilia. So there's all kinds of things. Related to making money that we'll continue those conversations. And and I have to say, if you go back, we have a really, really good track record of calling the Ukraine-Russian war mm. ahead of time, the comeback of crypto, the comeback of Meta, you know, Facebook. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a, there's a lot of good things to come.
3: This episode of Looped In Chicago is produced and hosted by me, Jim Hankey, with additional recording by Chris Lopez and editing by Ariel Rabiné. WBBM's news director is Craig Schwalb, and Myron Kaplan is our managing producer of national news podcasts. Follow us on TikTok at WBBM news Radio 105.9, and WBBMNewsradio.com slash follow has links to all of our other social media. Happy New Year, and thanks for listening. We'll keep you looped in again right here next week. See you then.